Hey everybody, welcome back to Studio HFL. I'm Larry Powell, your host for this podcast. I'm glad you're back for another interview. I'd like to let you know that this podcast is made possible by the generous support of my new co-sponsor, Messina Covers. David and Erica design and deliver both high-quality customer service and products, both standard and custom. Be sure to check them out at www.messinacovers.net. And Messina is spelled M-E-S-S-I-N-A-C-O-V-E-R-S. They offer their support through Patreon. Patreon is a funding platform where you can offer your financial support to this podcast, and your help will go towards hosting, production, and marketing fees. There are several tiers of support offered, and you can check out how you'd like to support this podcast at www.patreon.com slash studiohfl, and Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You can also offer support by providing comments and a rating on whatever platform you use to get your podcasts. If you'd like to receive news regarding interviews, new guests, access to Studio HFL merchandise, please subscribe to the newsletter by going to www.powellmusic.net and click on the subscribe to newsletter link. And of course, Powell Music, P-O-W-E-L-L-M-U-S-I-C dot net. And now, on with the interview. Uh, sitting here with Jeff Christiana. Um, Boy, this deja vu all over again, right? <laughs> uh, Jeff Cristiano with uh, Eastman Music Company, formerly Con uh, Selmer. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit today about things musical, um, maybe some history with you, and uh, what's in the future with Eastman. Uh, but, uh, you know, I've gotten to know you and know that you've got this really diverse musical background. And so why don't we start with that? Tell us, um, if you wouldn't mind about how things got started with you. Sure. Uh, well, first, thanks, Larry, for the opportunity to talk with you. I don't know if this is going to be interesting to anybody, but maybe uh, uh, people in my family, but uh, <laughs> willing to talk to you. Um, so um, let's go back. to I am a trumpet player by trade, and I started at a really early age. I actually started playing um, when I was eight years old, but I didn't start on trumpet. Uh, I actually started, I uh, was self-taught on a single-piston G bugle. And that was because my older brother and sister uh, were actually marching in a junior drum corps out of western New York, actually out of Lakeview, New York, which is called the Lakeview Shoreliners. And if you've got any older uh, folks listening, they might, and they, they're a drum corps aficionado, they, that might ring a bell. Um, and so my brother used to um, leave his G bugle sitting out on his bed, and when he wasn't around, I would sneak in there, and I would uh, just start picking up and playing it. So... I did this for some time, uh, and I found out later that actually my my mother uh, thought it was my brother practicing. <laughs> so did, did she think he was in improving or yeah. <laughs> at all? So, well, um, it was interesting because uh, she didn't say it was bad. So I mean, uh, but when 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 my parents found out it was actually me, they uh, talked to uh, the director of the Shoreliners, and they had a, actually a little feeder peewee corps, uh, which did parade marching. So they put me right into that. So at age eight. In the third grade, I was uh, parade marching with a single piston G bugle, um, and so that was my first foray into a brass uh, brass playing. Uh, and then I was very fortunate to, to be in the school system where I was living because uh, I, I grew up in Hamburg, New York, and in Hamburg schools um, they had great band programs. And actually, the uh, beginning band program started in the fourth grade. And mm -hmm. unlike a lot of schools today, you were actually playing five days a week, so you were. Um, 
on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, you had full band, and on Tuesday and Thursday, you had semi-private lessons and wow. with uh, trumpet, other trumpet players. So the, the progression was really uh, quick. Um, and so uh, that was in the fourth grade. And then, uh, of course, fifth and sixth grade is the concert band. And to give you an idea how, how well the school program was run, by the time, uh, you know, every year, this, this band uh, director, Mr. Charles Vera, uh, they actually cut a record every year with their concert band in elementary school. No kidding. And um, <laughs> and it was it was uh, quite impressive for that level of of kids and students. And uh, in oddly enough, you know, I progressed pretty quickly on trumpet. And so um, my mother had for a long time. I actually don't know where the, the record is now. There was a record of my sixth grade band that I was actually uh, on a track soloing with uh, Trumpeter's Lullaby in the sixth grade out in front of the band. Uh, so that was kind of my, my start into the uh, into playing. Uh, I was able to then to get in with a very fine um, uh, trumpet teacher who uh, was acquainted with my mother. My mother was for, for many, many years, uh, for the better part of 63 years, she was a church organist and choir director. So I was always around church music. Mm. I cut my chops playing in the in you know for offertories and in church and mm -hmm. still one of my favorite places to play is in, in church. You know, but that that kind of explains a lot. Being able to pick up, you know, bugle, and I mean, you know, you can't just jump in. I mean, even if you didn't have any formal training prior to that, if you grew up around music, especially, uh, you know, kind of sitting there next to the the organ during church or hearing the choir and all that. I mean, that is some significant musical training right there. Sure, and, and actually, you know, because it was my, my mother, she had roped me into being in a children's choir and, and doing that. <coughs> I, I always say I can't carry a tune in a bucket vocally, but um, <laughs> she had me exposed to that and doing it. Mm -hmm. <coughs> so, uh, yeah, there was a lot of experience, and um, we were always going to concerts and, and things like that, so there was, mm -hmm. there was a lot of exposure to that. Um, uh, the, the kind of interesting thing where, uh, you know, when I got into – uh, junior high school there, you know, when I was actually 14, I had another um, eye-opening experience from a musical standpoint. Uh, I was asked, uh, I had a really good school friend whose father was a director of a senior corps, and so it was the Hamburg Kingsmen, uh, which was a senior drama bugle corps, and I was 14, and they asked me to play in it, and uh, so I did, and for two years I played uh, with the, the Kingsmen, and that was quite the education. <laughs> I was by well, far uh, the, the youngest person in the uh, senior corps. You matured very quickly, I would imagine, <laughs> right? Well, because <laughs> if anybody knows anything about senior <laughs> corps, there's a lot of, well, there was rumor there was a lot of heavy drinking uh, before, during, and after rehearsals. Now, yes, uh, <laughs> but there was one caveat uh, from, from my mother uh, for me playing in this corps. There was actually a family friend who was a county sheriff who played in this drum, in oh. the senior drum corps. So I was pretty much his shadow and I was his pet project. So uh, he didn't let me stray far. <laughs> so I, w I wasn't privy to all the uh, sure. mature kinds of activities going sure. on. Uh, but I tell you, it was quite the experience, great group of people. And just one other um, uh, kind of an interesting story there. You know, my, uh, my parents separated when I was 15. And so um, I was put in a situation where I was moving back to northern Indiana, northwest Indiana, where my mother was from. <clears throat> my older brother and sister were out college and gone. And so um, it was actually during the second season of uh, marching with the uh, Kingsmen, and we were coming up to finals, and uh, my mother moved. And so the director actually begged her uh, if there was any way I could stay to finish out the season. Mm -hmm. 
And luckily, I had really good family friends that I was very close with. They were, I still, they were my second parents, and I still, you know, call her on Mother's Day today. Um, but they, you know, I had a key to their house. I, I, I was their fourth child, they say. Now, I remember you telling me this story before. You're not just moving around the corner. Uh, no, from, no, we were moving from Hamburg to uh, Maryville, Indiana, which is northwest Indiana, just right. outside of Chicago. So, so that's a significant point because I think where you're headed next. Yeah, and so he, uh, he when, when the director talked to my, uh, my mother, he said, look, we, uh, if you'll let him stay, we'll take care of him, and we will get him to you. Mm-hmm. You won't have to come back again, and we will fly him out um, to uh, Indiana, um, actually flying into Chicago. And so we, it was the finals. We, we competed, um, did as well as we could for a small uh, senior corps, had mm-hmm. a great time. Mm-hmm. So uh, we are around the equipment truck and trying to figure out, putting everything away. And I'm thinking, you know, I still don't know how I'm getting back to Indiana. And so I kind of tugged on his shirt tail uh, to the director, say, uh, you never said how I'm getting back. And he says, oh, you're right. So, hey, they yells to everybody in the corps, everybody gather around, everybody come over here. So it turned into a big circle of senior drum corps members. And he said, you know, um, I made a promise to Jeff's mother that uh, if he was able to stay here, uh, we would get him back. So he grabbed a Shaco out of the equipment truck and he says, we got to come up with money for a plane ticket. And they <laughs> p- started passing the Shaco around and everybody's pulling money, cash out of their wallets and going around. And that's actually how they paid for my uh, my flight home. And it was more than enough. So it just speaks to the, uh, the quality of the people and the uh, consideration. And it was just a wonderful experience for me. You know, uh, I did drum corps three mm-hmm. years at the start of Indiana, 85, 6, and 7. And... Uh, just last week, uh, caught up with a friend of mine that we marched together in '86, and uh, you know, 30 plus years. But you realize what a family it is, what a unique experience that is. You know, so it's not a surprise for me to hear you tell that story. It's like you really watch out for each other's back. You got sure. each other's back in that situation, and it's a lifelong. Uh, in some cases, you know, you end up marrying somebody from the core. Oh, sure. And then divorcing somebody from the core, <laughs> and then marrying somebody else. But, um, yeah, you know, drum corps is a, a unique experience. And uh, I heard another podcast recently, Peter Bond uh, with the Metropolitan yeah. Opera, uh, talks about his experience in a drum corps. I guess he was got into a little bit of trouble, and the local drum corps was a place to keep all the riffraff off the streets. Yeah. You know, and I think, man, what a unique time and, and period that must have been to have those kinds of experiences available, you know, just – Maybe not as a musical experience, but more as a punitive, <laughs> punitive experience. Um, so, a- after that, did you do any more drum corps? I, I didn't. I actually uh, looked into it when I moved to uh, Northwest Indiana, uh, but uh, it just wasn't going to work really well uh, from the the distance and the time. And um, and it was actually that time was just uh, my mother and I. So I uh, felt the responsibility to to help and uh, make sure that. Um, she was able to, you know, basically live on her own. So I was, that was, it was the two of us until I uh, went to college. And so, um, what was the school music situation like in Maryland? Um, <laughs> great, great concert band. Um, the director, it was funny, uh, during my senior year, and I happened to be president of the band, so we always had a, uh, 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 a dinner at the end, you know, uh, 
support, you know, celebrating and giving out band awards and those kinds of things. Uh, and so my senior year was his last year. So mm -hmm. he had been there well over 30 years. And uh, so he had great concert bands. We had really fine. Now, from a marching standpoint, I was, a little, you know, having come from drum corps, I was <laughs> appalled sure. that um, his idea of marching band uh, at his stage in life was, um, we're not doing any competitive marching. And by the way, uh, so we're going to learn some music every week. And so uh, every week was you you lined up on the sidelines, you marched out in a block formation, you turned around, you played your stuff, and you marched straight off. And that was uh, at halftime. And then you went right back to the band room, changed. You didn't have to stay for the game. Wow. <laughs> so it's not typical for a lot of bands in Indiana, which is a really strong competitive marching yeah. uh, uh, high school band state. Uh, so, but but I I, uh, uh, I was fortunate actually. You know, I had had some really good teachers along the way when I was still back in Hamburg. I had a, 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 a man by the name of Bob Vogan who was a very fine trumpet player teacher. He had three kids. Two two of his sons were trumpet players, and a daughter was a horn player. So, uh, and he I learned a lot from him. And um, one interesting opportunity I had with him is. Um, on a Saturday, he, he asked me to uh, come over, bring my my trumpet, and he and his son, Ron, and I uh, went over to uh, where the Buffalo Philharmonic plays, and uh, I didn't know at the time, but the um, there was a band in, time, uh, in town rehearsing, and they were going to be performing that night, and it was Mitch Miller. Um, no kidding. It was... Is this the follow the bouncing ball? It was Mitch Miller and the, what is, what was his uh, shtick? Um, I uh, can't remember the, but it was, you know, sing along with Mitch, yeah, that kind of stuff. Right, right. And right. so we watched the first half of the uh, rehearsal, and then uh, my teacher went over and was talking to, he knew some trumpet players in the section, and uh, the trumpet players came over and said, hey, we understand you two kids are trumpet players. You got your horns? Come on and sit up in the band for the rest of <laughs> rest of the rehearsal. So I don't know if I can put it on my resume, but I, I sat in with a rehearsal with the Mitch Miller Band. That's amazing. And I was uh, probably 15. Uh, it was just great. So, I mean, I had a great teacher, great experience. Um, moving to Indiana, I had trouble finding a, um, a trumpet teacher, and I was really fortunate to, to have met uh, a middle school band director who was a, uh, a former graduate of Indiana University in Bloomington, and she was a euphonium major. Uh, and I started studying with her, and she was an incredible player. And what I learned about breathing from her, um, uh, it was just a really great experience. So mm -hmm. uh, she, uh, her name was um, uh, Sue Hamer at the time, um, and uh, she uh, taught me, and I, it was a great experience. Uh, so when I was looking at uh, after high school, I, I was kind of – I wasn't the most studious student. That was always enough just to get by, and I wasn't, you know, that really self-motivated. Uh, and so I actually didn't know what I was going to do after high school. So I, um, uh, my, my best friend in the world, uh, who was uh, went to school, you know, high school with and knew him for many years before that, actually, um, he, uh, he said, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know. What are you going to do? <laughs> he said, well, I'm thinking of applying to uh, IU, uh, going down there. Now, he had a sister who was living down there. I said... Yeah, maybe I'll apply too. And he said, what are you going to apply for? I said, I don't know, maybe music. <laughs> so, I mean, there, there was no thought. There was no real effort. I had no idea what I was going to do. So I talked to my teacher. She said, you know, if you're going to, it's a very competitive school. Uh, I think you, you're talented enough. You can, you can do this. But I would suggest you go in on a, a music ed degree. Uh, for one, 
it, it's a little, it might be a little easier to get in. And number two, having that degree gives you other options mm -hmm. that you might not if you're a performance major. So I, I did. I said, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll apply as a music ed major. And I'll never forget the day I auditioned because uh, I, I, had went, I went to IU uh, my with my mother, mm -hmm. and we drove down, and I'm up on the fourth floor of the round music building at IU, mm -hmm. where a lot of people know exactly what, I, what I'm talking. And it was, um, and it was a, uh, I'm outside the door, and there is a trumpet player auditioning before me. And as I'm standing there listening, I am just amazed and shocked and appalled at what I'm hearing because this person was so incredibly good. And I'm thinking, and he just played all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I literally had in my hand one piece of music that was from that I, my sold ensemble piece of music that I had. So that's what I went with. And so about three quarters of the way through this other person's audition, I looked at my mom and said, you know, let's go. Uh, just, I can't compete no. with this. So thankfully, she said, uh, no, you're staying and you're going to go in. Good. And so when this gentleman walked out from his audition, he had a stack of music that was probably about eight inches thick. And I'm thinking, I've got my one little piece of <laughs> music. And I walked in, and it was uh, Charles Gorham. It was Louis Davidson, uh, who was not quite retired yet, and Mr. Bill Adam, mm -hmm. who were on my audition committee. And Mr. Gorham came in and uh, introduced himself and the other teachers and asked me who I was, where I was from. I told him I was playing. And mm -hmm. so that the interview or the audition was actually pretty simple. They just asked me to play some scales just to hear the sound and the range and that kind of stuff, and then asked me to play this wherever I wanted this piece of music. So I, it was a pretty cut and dry audition. They were very kind. Um, <laughs> I felt really bad because um, I can't remember the name. It was a fantasy invasions um, of, of something, but I remember the last page was just all notes, and it went something like, it was just all over. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, that's what I didn't want to play. And so when, <laughs> when Mr. Gorham came around behind me, looked at the music, he goes, oh, guys, do you know this piece? And he told them, and they didn't know it. He goes, where do you hear the last page? <laughs> <laughs> and so I thought, oh, hell, you know, I, I, heavens, I, I'm sorry. that." <laughs> so we got, I got played a number of sections. And he goes, why don't you just pick one more section? So I did. And it wasn't the last page. Oh. <laughs> so I didn't play the last page. Yeah, and I thought, yeah. I walked out thinking again, yeah, that's probably not going to happen. And lo and behold, I got accepted. Yeah. Uh, oh, hang on, before you go any further, any significance of the person who had auditioned before you? Do you know who that was? Yes, he, wa <laughs> um, he was actually auditioning for a doctoral degree. And so, you know, here I am, a music ed major, uh, coming in. And, and so, yeah, I didn't know what I was being compared to or what I was comparing myself to. So sure. very fine player. He was a doctoral candidate. I can't remember who, who it was at the time. But um, so I got into the School of Music and uh, in the Music Ed program. Um, and very quickly, uh, I studied with Charles Gorman. He was a great teacher, a great mentor. And um, it was, uh, and you know, I didn't, I actually didn't mind the Music Ed part of it. I actually was enjoying all of that. And so I did the old uh, five-year plan uh, on the music ed. Wait, they had a five-year plan? Uh, was that an option? <laughs> well, I it mean, it doesn't take seven or 12 yeah. years to finish. <laughs> well, I had most of my colleagues doing four, but uh, yeah. not me. And the thing that almost killed me was the uh, piano proficiency that every music yeah, ed right? <laughs> major had to do. You know, I've heard they've created a 12 half-step program for uh, <laughs> for people. Well, it, it was funny. It was, a, it was a great experience. It's a great school of music, obviously, and there were a lot, of, I've got a lot of great friends, great trumpet players. And I was very fortunate 
to very quickly um, do really well from a playing standpoint. So I was playing uh, through undergrad, uh, you know, principal in different bands with Ray Kramer and um, Wilbur England, and then I was playing uh, principal in uh, the orchestras. I actually went over to the orchestra side and really started studying hard on, on being an orchestral player. So that's what my intent was to be. Um, so that, I want to back up a little bit more. Living in Merrillville, yeah. you're, what, 45 minutes to an hour from Chicago. Right. Did you ever, while you were there, make it up to hear the Chicago Symphony or, or think about getting lessons with uh, Bud or uh, Never. any I, of the guys? Because I wasn't, you know, it was funny because, my, again, my teacher at the time, it, that was that was just not the thing. It was all about just trying, you know, she was just trying to make me a better trumpet player and mm -hmm. give me all the fundamentals and stuff. But I, I, I wasn't as serious as that, where a lot of uh, kids at that age really know what they're going to do. And so they already start seeking out that kind of, I wasn't. Again, remember, I had, I didn't have a lot of direction. I didn't know what I wanted to do. So mm -hmm. I was um, kind of flying by the seat of my pants, so to speak. And so as time went on, it, these things became more focused to me. And sure. I got better. Sure. So during my undergrad, um, uh, I, finally <laughs> I finally finished um, my undergrad degree. You uh, did the student teaching and everything. Yeah, and I actually taught, I taught right there in uh, Bloomington at Bloomington North High School. Oddly enough, with a, a very fine teacher named Janice Stockhouse, who you've got to be kidding! No, and who today is still teaching at that school. Now you got I am fifty-seven years old. So when you think when I'm I'm back at my doing my student teaching, she was a young teacher, but she has been there all these years and, and done a phenomenal job. She I think a, she just retired this year. She just retired this year, and she's a she was a phenomenal teacher. Oh, she built an amazing program down she there. She did, and so I did my student teaching there, and I had she gave me all kinds of opportunity and. Uh, so it, it was a great experience. Wow. Um, so uh, when I, I talked to uh, my, my teacher, Charles Gorm, and I then thought about going out and doing a master's in trumpet performance, which I did. And so right there uh, at, IU. at IU. And I was actually one of his grad assistants. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was, again, a good opportunity, playing principal in orchestras and, um, and just doing really well. So well, but as a grad assistant, you're also getting to teach some undergrads. That correct? is absolutely correct. So I, you know, I shared a studio with two other uh, grad assistants: one from a Gorham studio, one from a Bill Adams stu uh, uh, studio. So it was a great experience. Um, a lot of great musical um, opportunities there. So give me a give me a time frame. When are you at IU? I, I went down there in '79 as an undergrad, mm -hmm. and I left there with my master's in um, the spring of '85. I passed out a lot of my entrance exams for my uh, graduate degree, so I did it in a year and a summer, basically. Wow. And uh, Any other notable trumpet players there during your uh, tenure at IU? Uh, well, pff, yeah, a lot. I mean, um, um, if you think of teachers out there, there's all kinds uh, of teachers. Uh, I'm thinking of uh, Greg Wing, was, you know, who was down oh, sure. in there. Yeah. Um, Carl Sievers, who's out at University of Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. um, of course, he's the one that puts together the big Bill Adam trib tribute every year, right? Sure, sure he does. Um, Jimmy Stokes, there's uh, uh, Dan Ross, who's been playing in the Fort Wayne Symphony forever and, mm -hmm. and was orchestra manager. Mm -hmm. um, there's just a lot of, there was a lot of really good, uh, John Wilds who's playing in, in San Diego. Mm -hmm. uh, there's just a lot of great trumpet players uh, from that period. Uh, even Chris, Chris Bodie was there for uh, a little bit. And... Um, uh, studied at IU, and so yeah, it was it was a great time. It was a lot of great trumpet players. Um, now you've studied with Gorham mainly, but did you get some time with Bill Adam? Um, I did not, and uh, and I, I just was exclusively with. Again, it was one of those things that it never really crossed my mind that I should be branching out and uh, 
uh, I just was really enjoying what I was learning from and mm-hmm. being mentored mm-hmm. with him. And um, um, and there were some, you know, and there was two different approaches to to, to trumpet playing, or trumpet teaching. There, there was there was definitely an Adams uh, methodology, um, which you know a, a lot of people gravitated to, and a lot of uh, great players came out of that program. And then uh, then there was Forum, who was more of repertoire and literature and orchestral kinds of things. Well, and great players came out of his studio they as well. They absolutely did. So I was fortunate, and so well, let, let's talk a little bit more about that. You know what yeah. those lessons looked like, and what kind of uh, teaching style he had, and uh, it, it was always about uh, musicality. And so there was not a lot of you know. Uh, sure, we had all the fundamentals. He played all the the Clarks, the Arbins, the Lochbergs, uh, but there were a lot of etudes, a lot of Charlie a lot of a lot of etudes, and then a lot of orchestral excerpts and things like that. Once I got into that part of the playing and. Um, uh, I had a brass quintet going at the time, um, so there was that was the chamber music uh, uh, experience there, which was really good. Did a, a couple of um, uh, off-campus recitals in different mm-hmm. towns and things like that, and um, so it was it was it was a really good experience. Uh, um, we had um, you know the, the <laughs> very first thing that was really kind of striking in my very first lesson, um, and you don't really see this like this much anymore. But I, I was playing a uh, Bach Strad trumpet uh, that I bought with the money I saved when I was 17. I went mm-hmm. into a local music store, found what I wanted, and that's what I had. And um, and so, uh, but my I was playing on a, a, not a Bach mouthpiece. I was playing on um, it was actually a Yamaha mouthpiece. And so after my first lesson, he he said, um, Jeff, what, what mouthpiece are you using there? Can I see it? And I, <laughs> I take it out of my trumpet. I hand it to him, and he looks at it. And I'm not making this up. He literally tosses it over his shoulder, and it goes kink, 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 kink on the tile floor. He goes, yeah, um, go down to Smith Hall of Music in Bloomington and, and look at Bach mouthpieces, come back with either a, a Bach 3C, one and a half, one and a quarter, something that's not this. <laughs> so I, they, they were very specific. Sure, so uh, sure. uh, I went down and got my 3C and ended up uh, getting down to like a, a 1C. And I was there at the time when it was, uh, you know, everything had to be bigger, so everybody was you know, reaming out to the 18 throats oh, right, and right. all this stuff. And I was also there at an interesting time because that is when Dave Monette uh, moved from uh, Oregon to uh, to Bloomington to work with uh, mm-hmm. my teacher. So uh, he was, when he moved to, to Bloomington, he was just, um, he had been modifying Bach trumpets and he started making his own lead pipes, but he was really intent on getting into making his own instruments. So he was there working with, my teacher. How do you and think that turned out? Has he had any success with that? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Dave's a very bright guy, and yeah. he's, he's built a, a really good reputation yeah. for himself. Of course, I'm being sarcastic. Uh, you are, yeah. but that's okay. <laughs> but he's, um, you know, there are mainstream people, and then um, there's other people not mainstream. I would say he's a little bit in the category of non-mainstream. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Great guy, uh, very smart, very intelligent. Um, but, you know, it was interesting. So, I remember being in his basement, um, in his apartment, or in the house he was renting, and he put a uh, one of his early lead pipes on my B-flat, still on my B-flat. <clears throat> and then uh, I had picked up a used C trumpet off of a tag, off of a you know a board at the school. Somebody wasn't going to really make it, and so he was selling a C trumpet, and I bought a really nice Bach 229 with a 25-H uh, co- uh, lead pipe on it. And I went over to Dave's, and he had an idea. He put this really cool removable lead pipe system with these little rings and posts, no mm-hmm. bracing on the mm-hmm. valve of the lead pipe, and I had a couple different lead pipes, and I played on that for some time until I realized it just wasn't working, and so 
uh, in Mr. Gorm's garage. Uh, he actually took all the other, he unsoldered all those parts and he soldered on my original uh, equipment. Um, and Did he throw those other parts over his shoulder like that? Uh, he didn't throw them over. <laughs> he, he, he hung out of those. But if you looked at the solder job on my trumpet, you would think uh, it was done, <laughs> like maybe a third grader had done it. He wasn't uh, the most skilled, um, you know, right. tech, repair right. tech. Right. And so uh, I've always left it that way. Yeah. And so when I look at my trumpet, it makes me smile because I see all the solder shadows on it and all the, uh, the gaps in the yeah. <laughs> solder. Uh, but it's a, it's, a great, it's a great trumpet today. Yeah. Um, so that's what I've been playing. So, you know, my, my goal was to uh, get a job as a symphony player. That's what I wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was actually doing quite well. In 82, in, uh, I was a finalist in the International Trumpet Guild Mock or, uh, Orchestral Audition uh, in Ithaca. So I, I went there, and it was, I'll never forget, uh, uh, it was at 8 o'clock in the morning. And so there was no place to warm up in, in there. The music building wasn't open. So I'm out in this little sports car that my buddy drove with me out there. And it was a actually it was a pretty new uh, Datsun 280Z. So it was a very cramped car, and I'm out there in the parking lot warming up two hours before <laughs> this competition. And so of course we get into the competition and we draw straws to see who goes first. Mm-hmm. Uh, guess who got the short straw? That, that was me. So I went first, and um, it actually went really well. All the prepared stuff, sight reading. So then they throw. And when they say sight reading in a competition like that, they're assuming you've seen, you've done your oh, homework. Of course, of course. Yeah, see, again, I, I wasn't really that guy. Um, and so it was sight reading, <laughs> literally for me. And uh, it was a, a couple of comments, which was kind of funny, that, uh, you know, I was like, hey, really nice sight reading. You know, and, and, you know, under underlined in capital yes, letters. So sense. they knew uh, right. that I hadn't looked at the, or seen that yeah. particular lick before. Uh, it was the one controversial thing that happened during this. It was funny because uh, Manny Loreno was one of the judges. And I had been to his clinic uh, a day before, or uh, maybe two days before. Mm-hmm. He was doing an orchestral excerpt clinic. And I went to it, and one of uh, the classic uh, things on this audition was the uh, ballerina's dance from Petrushka. And so uh, when he did his clinic, he was very specific about that piece. Everybody plays it too fast. Here's how it goes. And so he was very stately. Right. And of course, I had been rehearsing it. And I could play it really well at that tempo. So I went after uh, that clinic. I went, I found Mr. Gorham. I said, e, I went to his clinic and what do you think I should do? Should I back that tempo up? Or he goes, just play it how you rehearse it. Just play it how you know it. So I did, and I played it well. Uh, one of the comments on seats, Petruska, too fast, <laughs> uh, which is fine. I mean, it, w- it was a great experience. It's a scary thing to get up in a competition like that with a couple hundred trumpet players. Yeah. So I, I, last year at ITG in San Antonio, I experienced my first, I, I went to that session, and it was a small room, and probably if a fire marshal had come by, you know, there would have been some serious issues. The room was packed. You've got the three judges in there, and then the place was literally packed, people in the front row and standing along the walls. And, you know, the three guys come out for the... And how intimidating that must be. And so unlike a real audition, right? Oh, sure. Behind a screen. Right, right. (laughs) But literally, you know, maybe 75... It was a small room, 75 or 100 people... uh, that can that can smell the sweat uh, and fear coming from your body. 
Um, now, the three guys played brilliantly, especially under the circumstances. But I just cannot imagine putting yourself through that uh, that kind of, you know, it's, it's like, why? Why in the world would you do that? Well, I know why you do it. I mean, you're hoping that this is sure. going to lead to something. Yeah. Um, so kudos for doing and, that. And your teacher said to do it. <laughs> right. So what so choices do what, you have? What he said to and do sometimes, is what I did. You know, and not saying you're dumb, but sometimes when you're young, you know, you're too dumb to know the difference. It's like, okay, I'll do this. I'll do that. Uh, that was know? that was me, pretty and, much. Yeah. Uh, so I, I did that. I didn't win, uh, but it was it was a great experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have to ask, where does Petrushka belong? Is it 116? Yeah, it depends on who you ask. Or 108. It, it depends on who you ask. Or 120. So. <laughs> C uh, trumpet or B flat? It's. Uh, I actually did it on uh, C trumpet. Yeah. And um, my answer to that is whatever the conductor wants it at. That's what you're yeah. going to do it at. Um, so no, no. Here's here's the way to do that: is you go to the snare drummer and you say, "Look, here's what we're doing. Here's what we're doing. <laughs> Fifty bucks if you can keep it at one twelve, <laughs> right? And and no faster, no slower. You set that tempo, <laughs> and you're my best friend forever. Oh, that's great. So you know th- that's what I did uh, during my uh, my undergrad. So during graduate, I was I was really looking to uh, start taking additions. So when I was graduating, now I, I have to, there's a little side here. I got to tell you because it leads into what I did next. Um, I was fortunate enough to uh, meet this lovely young 18-year-old girl when I was a freshman living at Wright Quad. And I happened to be in the cafeteria having met a couple of girls from um, the other side of the, the quad. And so my roommate and I were uh, having lunch with these girls and they motioned to this other young lady and called her by name and she came over sat with us and um her name was gina and uh met her that day and uh that's that's the girl i married so we met freshman year in the dorm we actually dated for four years Mm -hmm. um when she finished her undergrad uh in social work uh uh, we got married and i still have one year to go in my uh, graduate degree or my undergrad degree so we lived in married housing and uh and then, uh, so we were, were married. She was uh, working uh, at the Monroe County uh, Welfare Department and as a social worker, and I was working on my degree. And so, you know, I'm getting ready to take auditions and do that, and all of a sudden, uh, life took a turn. It was like the family planning that you had planned or failed to plan didn't, <laughs> didn't, didn't really care what we planned, and we were expecting our first child right before I uh, finished. So actually, my daughter Megan was born in Bloomington, um, in June, and I, that is and literally, I just finished my master's degree in May, and so, uh, so we have this little baby, and and your life changes when you do that. Yes, it uh, does. And uh, it was, um, you know, I was, I felt very proud uh, of the fact, uh, you know, uh, of where new, new, new young family, and so uh, I'll never forget when we, my wife and I took uh, our our new darling little daughter to meet Mr. Gorham. So. We went to his studio, knocked on the door. He walked in, and he had had a big smile on his face, and we went in, and I said, uh, Mr. Gorm, I'd like to introduce my daughter, Megan, at which point, at which point she projectile vomits no. straight ahead. <laughs> it was something out of the, the scene of, from, from The Exorcist, Exorcist. Yeah. And, and just all over, and luckily it landed all on his, what I called his spit rug. <laughs> and I was, of course, mortified, and he was the, the consummate uh, father and experienced person, like oh, it's okay just we're just going to clean it up and yeah. he was great so <laughs> that was my my uh the introduction of my daughter wow uh so but she's but, gotten over that she that doesn't happen during it, introductions these days no she's she's <laughs> calmed down quite a bit over the years 
So <clears throat> I, was, I just finished my degree, but it's like, you need a job now. And so I didn't have time to take a lot of additions. And so I was, I was graduating. We had to move. I had needed a job. So I had this music ed degree to fall back on. And my wife's uh, entire family, extended family, were in education up in South Bend, Indiana, is where she grew up. So uh, her, her father was a very well-established school principal. Her mother was an AP English teacher. Her uncle, Rocco uh, Germano, was a, uh, he started the youth symphony in the uh, South Bend uh, community. He was an orchestra director, very fine. Uh, he, he played in his youth, he played with uh, Chicago Symphony and the Boston Pops. I mean, this guy was a real player. And, um, and her, my wife's cousin, one of Rocco's daughters, was the fiddle player with John Cougar Mellencamp kind of thing. I mean, so there was a lot of history mm -hmm. with, um, with music and in education. So I get a call in Bloomington from the fine arts coordinator uh, from the South Bend Community Schools. And she says, hi, Jeff, this is uh, Furbia, Furbia Miller, and I'm the uh, director of fine arts in South Bend Schools. Um, we have a couple openings, and I'm uh, in Van, I'm, I'd like to just ask a couple questions. Uh, you have a master's degree, you have a music ed degree, a bachelor's from IU? Yes. And you have a master's degree in trumpet performance? Yes. And you married into the Germano family? Yes. You're hired. <laughs> wow. So that was my entire interview, and literally that's how it went. Seriously. I, I'm, no, that, I'm serious. That was the extent of my, and she says, I'm hiring you. Um, and one of the reasons is <clears throat> we have a faculty brass quintet and a faculty string quartet, which had a great program in, in those years, a program called Learning to Listen. And so literally part of my job description was every Wednesday in, at 1 o'clock, we were, the quintet was playing in one of, every one of the 26 elementary schools in South Bend. Wow. And we would go into the third grade classrooms and play one in this third grade classroom, we'd play a program, mm -hmm. we'd go to the next one. And so where you'd be up close personal and we were teaching musical concepts and getting them acquainted, uh, introduce them to uh, some of the uh, band instruments on the brass right. side. So it was a great, not only was it educational, it was a fantastic time. A friend of mine who was down uh, getting his uh, music ed degree, Dennis Gamble, mm -hmm. he got hired in that school system because he also played trumpet. Mm -hmm. And so he taught in the South Bend schools. But he so didn't have to marry into He didn't, know. he didn't have to marry. But I was playing principal trumpet. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, it was a great experience. I had a great, uh, the Jerry Lackey was the, uh, the tuba player, and I was his assistant at Clay in the Clay District. Phenomenal tuba player, arranger, composer, and Larry Dwyer, who was a phenomenal jazz trombonist, uh, classical trombone, and jazz piano. Uh, he taught South Bend for many years, but now he's teaching at uh, jazz at the University of Notre Dame, and with the band program there. Um, so uh, we had a great quintet, and it was one of the funnest parts of the job. And so I did that. I was an assistant for a couple of years, and what, then what kind of repertoire were you guys playing? Um, it was a lot of um, a lot of things that kids would recognize. Uh, we would do things like musical concepts, for example. We would do we talk about melody and accompaniment, right? And so you talking about that concept. So I would get up and start talking about what that relationship is, and then the the group behind me would uh, they would start playing an accompaniment mm -hmm. to a very familiar tune if you're from South Bend, Indiana, because what it was it was the accompaniment to the Notre Dame fight song, right? And so all those kids went, uh, really, and so I would then come in with the melody. Well, we had a really fun group, and it was not uncommon for I'd be up there playing. And when they start playing, I realize they're not playing they're in the key that I'm normally <laughs> playing it. So while I'm talking, I've got to figure out what key they're in to come in. And right. So this was, this was kind of an ongoing joke. You know, let's try to screw the guy up who's talking. Um, and, but it, we, it was always well done. It was always 
uh, the principals loved it, the teachers loved it, uh, and it was a great party. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, they don't, they're not doing that anymore in the school system, but it was, it was great while they did it. Mm -hmm. um, so after two years as, as an assistant, I took over as a head band director at John Adams High School, and I had the elementary, two elementaries, and then eventually I, I gave up the elementaries for the middle school. So I was teaching middle school and high school, uh, and I was a head band director. And they had great programs, great jazz bands, started some uh, really cool programs. Uh, one of the first things I did in that South Bend School Corporation when I uh, came in was talk to uh, my head band director, Jerry Lackey, uh, into competitive marching. And so at the time, back in, in th those days, in 1985, everybody was doing Big Ten chair step style marching, and it was all football halftime entertainment. Well, and was this one, because, uh, uh, let me see if I can get this straight. Um, at the state fair, mm -hmm. the track show kind of reigned supreme for a very long time. Very and the track much. shows are still, uh, I mean, that competition still exists today. You bet. Um, so we're not talking, are the kind of marching you're doing here, is it more of this track it, show? Or is no, it, it was, no, and, and there, was, there was no such thing as any kind of competitive marching in South Bend schools mm -hmm. when, I, when I came into it back in 85. Um, they, it was just literally football entertainment and then parade marching. That was it. Mm -hmm. So it was more akin to what I had uh, experienced in the Marching 100, um, you know, at, at IU with the chair step, Big Ten style march. That's what everybody was doing. Sure. Um, so I said, yeah, we're going to do core style marching. And uh, so that's what we did right away. And, and so when I took over then after my second year at John Adams, I said, we're also going to go to contest and we're going to start competitive marching. And uh, we had started having some success really quickly with that. And it was duly noted by the administration of the school system. And so they pretty much mandated that all five high schools were going to do competitive marching. So then you saw an ex exodus of a lot of experience. Wow. <laughs> Older teachers who said, I'm not thanks, doing no that. Thanks, yeah. Right. And so then you had a bunch of uh, other people come in. So everybody actually was starting to do competitive marching, mm -hmm. and which I thought was good for the community, good, good for the, the programs, and, and we did pretty well. Mm -hmm. uh, never got to state finals, but just shy of it, mm -hmm. and which is a big thing in Indiana when you think about uh, all the giant uh, oh, yeah. powerhouses and marching. Course. So that, that's what we did, um, uh, and I did that for a total of 10 years. Mm -hmm. When I uh, took the job as a, a band director, in South Bend, again, this was the degree I had to quote unquote fall back on. So I always thought that, you know, uh, my wife had dragged me up to South Bend, Indiana, kicking and screaming because I wanted to be a trumpet player. And uh, uh, here I was going to be a band director. So um, it, it was funny. I went in with some uh, bias against, you know, what I was going to be doing. But it, it took me very little time to really uh, find that I really enjoyed being a band director and being teaching. And, and and being a music educator, I mean, in a big way. I, I enjoyed the kids at all different levels. Uh, middle school's challenging, as everyone knows, but uh, they're, they're a great uh, bunch of kids. So uh, then I get back to, you know, what was I going to do for playing? It, it took very little time for opportunities to come up. So um, within a shorter time, you know, I, I, uh, being in the community, I started playing in some community orchestras. I was, I was playing in the little Elkhart Symphony Orchestra, I was um, subbing in uh, the South Bend Symphony at the time. Um, I had a, I, uh, I got in a brass quintet that was actually established um, that the other trumpet player was a, a friend of mine who I had met down at IU studying with the same teacher. His name was Jim Carter. So he was playing in a brass quintet um, that goes back now over 30 years. 
that um, they you know happened to need a trumpet player, and I had just moved to town. So I think he asked me after I uh, played trumpet at his wedding, as soon as I uh, soon after I got here, and uh, there was an opportunity I sub with their quintet, and I end up playing full time in their brass quintet. Jim and I are still playing in a quintet today mm-hmm. after all this time, and he is. Uh, and I know Jim because yeah. he's still playing with the South Bend Symphony. He plays second trumpet and South Bend, fine I player. Subbed up there a couple of times, and uh, you so know, it's, it's a good band. It, and it, it he's, is. He's a fine trumpet player, and while we're on this, yeah, on fine trumpet players, I've heard you play. Oh. <laughs> and it blows me away. It makes me mad, really, is what it, it does, is that you're not a full-time trumpet player, and you still sound as good as you do. And it's not fair. Uh, well, uh, thank, thank God. Thank my mom and, you know, and the uh, genetics, I guess. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, I, I, I feel very fortunate. I can still uh, – it's funny, because it, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm more of a weekend warrior today. Uh, so when something gonna come up, I gotta really kind of woodshed and get, mm-hmm. get the chops in shape. But uh, today I'm, I'm I, cons- I call myself I'm a sprinter, I'm not a marathoner. So <laughs> so I'm really good in that in that sprint. You know, mm-hmm. if, if it's gonna be a marathon, I'm gonna have to really get back in and, and really work at uh, getting yeah, chops where they need to be. I don't be. think you'd have any problem with that. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I still enjoy it. So I, I was playing really quickly and uh, and I and something really fortunate happened. Uh, the they had a, the South Bend Symphony had a new conductor come in, and he literally re-auditioned the whole orchestra. So it went from a very small community orchestra that had a lot of um, uh, local teachers and whatnot into more of a regional orchestra. They were bringing in lots of lots of people. One auditions were from Chicago sure. and whatnot. So it really changed the level of that symphony. And actually, um, one of the guys who was uh, playing principal time was Benny Nguyen, who's still playing. Uh, I believe in Utah. Is he in Utah? I, uh, I probably got that in wrong symphony, but he's, he was the principal trumpet. So they auditioned everybody. And um, I happened to uh, basically time for, for co-principal of uh, South Bend. So uh, I played a lot of principal in that. Uh, I also played full-time third, uh, and I played second in the um, uh, Pops Orchestra, Two and and that was a great opportunity in the South Bend Pops uh, uh, Orchestra at the time because New Whalen was the conductor who was a very fine conductor, lots of a great pops conductor, uh, and he would bring in the rhythm section and he would bring in his lead trumpet player who happened to be a local boy who I actually didn't know until the first time I sat in a rehearsal next to him, mm-hmm. Mr. Danny Barber, and Danny Barber played with Maynard's band and he is just a phenomenal uh, powerhouse high note screaming kind of guy and the first time I sat in rehearsal I introduced myself to him he introduced the first lick we played I put my horn down and looked at him and I looked up Jim Carter on my left said who is this guy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was uh, a great fun over the years playing uh, with Danny so he, he could play any style in jazz and he's just a screaming trumpet player mm-hmm. so we had a great time great session um, so I, you know in no time I was playing in two orchestras uh, for a while three brass quintets including the faculty brass I had uh, probably 40 private students, um, and I was gigging with anything that came through, playing with the Temptations coming through, that kind of stuff. And so I was doing more playing than I could possibly, uh, you know, ask for, in addition to be a full-time band director. Yeah, which I was is just thinking, really how loved. in the world are you managing the time for all this? Uh, it was it was fortunate. I, yeah. I was very fortunate, and I just had a lot of opportunity, and self has been good to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've always been able to, even with the other jobs I've had since teaching, I've been able to, to keep at it and, and keep my level of interest uh, at, at a high level where I'm able to play and, mm-hmm. and perform and, and satisfy that performing bug, you know, that we all have. Um, so 
that's you know it was so I I I really quickly then or yeah, within a reasonable amount of time apologized to my wife for being really, you know. Uh, know, accusing her of dragging me, kicking and screaming up the cell vent. It turned out to be a really good thing. And um, so um, it actually had, if I had not gone, done that, I wouldn't have had the opportunity, which led into my second career. So uh, in my 10th year, well, actually in my ninth year of teaching, I got called uh, by a commercial photographer down the street from the John Adams High School where I was teaching. Didn't know me. He just said, I want to talk to the band director. And they put me to him. So he introduced himself and said, hey, I've got uh, a proposition. I'd like to hire you as a consultant. I've got a, uh, a contract to shoot uh, brochures for um, UMI, um, and I'd like to hire you to make sure that instruments are together and mm -hmm. everything's correct. And, I, and my, first <laughs> my first question to him was, what's UMI? Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't know it by his corporate name, which was United Musical Instruments. Now, soon after that, I got involved. Sure. Oh, oh, they make Khan and King and... Benj and Armstrong and Artley brands, and so uh, I was hired, and I got to uh, meet uh, some of the. I met the. Uh, uh, I met the marketing vice president Rich Bresky, and I met the um, president of the company uh, Rob Palmer, and I just got to know some people doing that, and it was fun because the, the photographer didn't have anything else arranged. He had a stack of instruments, so anytime he needed models, he didn't have any. I just had my band kids. Or my colleagues, they're all in those brochures back in that <laughs> in that time period from about 1993. And uh, even my, as ugly as my hand is, it my hand is holding a con trumpet. All you see is my <laughs> hand. I got so my. So you're a hand model that can uh, go on your resume. Isn't that right? sad? Look at this hand. I mean, it's, that's a sad state of affairs. Oh come on, somebody out there loves <laughs> that hand, right? So, um, and it was funny because I said, hey, this is fun. If you need any other other help. Let me know. So it was less than a year. They called me back. They said, you're your band director. Have you ever used uh, a recruiting tool called the Summer Music, Apti uh, Music Aptitude Test? I said, yeah, I tried it my first year, and I didn't like it. I, I, it was so boring. I fell asleep. Well, I was giving it to the kids <laughs> where you put a cassette tape in. It's very dry, and, and the kids get a bubble sheet, and they have to circle the, the answers, and you get musical examples. Is it higher or lower, same or different, right. blah, blah, blah. But it was just boring. And so UMI wanted to do a updated version that was going to be more of a, an interesting thing for kids to do and get them interested in the band program. They wanted to do a live video version of it, kind of like the Tonight Show thing. They wanted a live band mm -hmm. of kids. They wanted a couple hosts. They wanted a live studio audience, which was basically kids. <clears throat> and they'd asked me if I would get involved with that. I said, sure, that sounds like great fun. So when I walked into... Um, a Golden Dome Productions uh, uh, off the campus of Notre Dame where they were doing this taping. Mm -hmm. They had a studio and they didn't have anything else ready. They had no band. They had no music. They had no test. And so I ended up putting all that together. So I, I went to all the area schools and, and recruited one or two from each school from South Bend schools, some of my own private students and mm -hmm. own my own band kids, uh, Mishawaka schools, Penn schools, uh, uh, Elkhart schools, uh, just from around the community. I put together a quasi-pep band, jazz band kind of thing, and I arranged the music for this. And, and they knew what this was for? They knew what this was about? We had, when, 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 I, when I approached them, sure. Mm -hmm. And um, so the idea was to have a live band, and they said, we want you, Jeff, to be the band leader. So, okay. So uh, they didn't have a test, so I actually ended up writing, I ended up writing a, uh, an aptitude test. And so they do it. Uh, it was really kind of well done. So they would have uh, the band playing, starting, and the whole thing. The ironic, the most ironic thing of this whole project was the name of the 
video, the, the program. It was called the It Video, the In Tune Video. Now, it was a play on words, being you're in tune with music. I mean, you're, it's like, I say it's ironic because the band certainly wasn't in tune. <laughs> so, so I thought that was kind of uh, yeah. maybe bad choice. Of, yeah. But it was, a, it was a really solid high school group that, uh, it was full of normal kids. Um, and that was the point of it. And then, um, so it would, there would be music, the band would play, there would be, the, uh, the, the host would talk about music, they would cut away to some nice interviews with some big time artists <coughs> and um, about their experience with music. And so, and then they would, uh, uh, they would uh, have interviews with the kids and the, and the kids would actually tell about their experience in the band program, talk to the kids in the audience. So it was really an interactive kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then of course there's the after test. So there's me. With the, with the camera on me, and I'm actually in, in administering this test. I'm reading into a I'm reading out of a teleprompter, and I just today I wish I had the outtakes from all the blurps and and just it it's was, not as easy as it oh, looks, is no, it? No, it's not. You know, it, I mean, this is easy because I can just talk, right? Yes. But if, if you got to read something, yeah, and, and come up, yeah, that was a whole different ballgame. <laughs> so I did that, and it actually worked out really well for you and I, and they used it for many years, mm -hmm. and so. Um, I so you, you weren't just involved in that production. You were actually involved in redesigning that test that they were Yeah, using, I, I, right? I did it. Yeah, so, no. and, <coughs> so, and so was that a successful, yes, or more it, successful than the previous? Much more. It was much more interesting than uh, what the, so, so there are a lot of programs to this day, many years later, that are still using that, because they, they, they took it off of uh, VHS and put it on, uh, DVD and all this kind of stuff. It's so dated, and if you can picture me many, many pounds ago and a lot more hair ago, um, I'm this young band leader, you know, and uh, it, it was funny. In my later years in the music industry, I'd be in a show in Texas and, you know, at the Texas Music Educators Association, and mm -hmm. a band director walked by me, looked at me funny, back <laughs> up, looked at me sideways, and goes, know you you're you're that guy right. i see you every spring when i do my recruit recruiting you're on that it video and i said you've got to be kidding <laughs> seriously you still reckon yeah so uh, it was one of my little claims to fame that's great and uh it worked out really well um so now go back into again it was one of those things this is fun if you anything else i can help you with let me know uh, but i was not an unhappy band director i really was enjoying it but <clears throat> the next uh, that summer, my daughter was playing Little League softball, and I look across, there's the vice president of marketing, Rich Presby, and his stepdaughter was playing on the opposing team, mm -hmm. my daughter. And um, he saw me, he waved, he came over, hey, Jeff, we've just been talking about you. Really? You got another project? Uh, some little different. We'd like you to come in and talk. This. We're, we're developing a new position, and we really think you might have an aptitude for it, so why don't you come in and talk? So I, I, th I made an appointment, I'm thinking, well, <clears throat> no harm in talking. I'm not looking for a job. I like what I'm doing, but I want to see what it is. And so, so I go into UMI at the time into a conference room, corporate office. It was a long table, lots of chairs, and it's just me and one other person. It was Rich. <clears throat> and he, he has a job description. He slides it across the table. He says, take a look. I pick it up, and I look at it, and I read it, and I didn't say a word to him. I put it back down, face down the table, and I slid it right back to him. I said, Why'd you call me? He goes, what do you mean? I said, why, why am I here? He goes, what do you mean? I said, uh, Rich, I've never done anything on that piece of paper. Uh. I said, there's not one thing in there that, I've, that I have any experience with it. And I'm sure that there are a lot of people in your industry who are 
got years of experience who walk in and do that job in their sleep. So why am I here? And he said um, something very interesting. He said, you're right, we could. We don't want to. We just think there's, you've got something that mm. we think you can add. And, and, and here's the things that we like from your perspective. You're in education. You're close to education. You were a player. You're a professional musician. You've got a lot of the areas that we feel are important to. And this was the first product management position they'd ever had at UMI. And I was too naive to understand that it was an impossible task because they were hiring someone to be the product manager for all of their woodwind, brass, and string instruments that UMI sold. And um, so I interviewed just for giggles with the president and then finally met Bernard Mooskanter, the owner, and they offered me a job. And so uh, it was a hard decision. I, I didn't, I was not unhappy being a band director, but I, you know, you're at a crossroad, you think, how often was, does a, an opportunity like this come around? I have no idea what this could be or lead, but I really like teaching. My kids were part of the whole band family, you know, my young children, and it was part of our lives. And so uh, I made the decision, uh, talked with my wife, that I want to see what this is. And so I decided I'm going to do it. Now, that was a tough decision from a personal decision. My family were very upset uh, because they're losing a whole part of their, their family. <clears throat> and um, my wife was supportive, and I just said, I want to see. And I can always go back to teaching, right? I, you know? um, and so I, I accepted the job. And I'll never forget the day uh, I had to tell my high school band that I was going to be leaving. Now, this was at the end of, I started there in September of 95. And I had already gone through band camp, already had part of the show on the field. Um, and so I had told the administration I would stay until they found someone. Mm -hmm. uh, and actually, I had recommended someone for them. They, they hired them pretty quickly. So the transition was quick. But I remember um, it was like in very early September, the beginning of school, <coughs> during the first period, we had just gone through a marching band rehearsal outside. And I, I gathered all the kids around and uh, told them what, what I was doing and why I was doing it. And it was very emotional. A lot, all the kids were crying, boys, well, girls, sure. uh, my staff. Uh, we, it was a big, you know, uh, sob fest kind of thing and uh, uh, you know gathered myself together and went on to my middle school and, and when I came it was the interesting thing when I came back <laughs> when I came back to the um, uh, high school in the afternoon one of the guidance counselors came down and 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 walked in my office and said holy cow Jeff I wish you had told us that you were going to tell your band today because we spend most of our day with crisis counseling to half of your kids Oh my in gosh. our offices, and so <laughs> uh, it, it, it was. It was. I mean, I, I feel fortunate to have had the experience. Yeah, Great but that's kids. a testament to your ability to lead and teach. And well, I, I like to think. I, you know, looking at teachers today, it, it's if you've got a lot of good role models. I had some great role models. You know, um, where I am from, student teaching with Janice Tucker. So if you're into it, if you're excited, if you can motivate, if you can make kids feel welcome, if you, uh, I mean, it, it's just. It, the, the classroom in a band room is different than any other in the building. <laughs> it's not a classroom. It's just it's it's its own family. And Absolutely. If you foster that, you can make an incredible. I, I have kids who are still con in contact with me today from when I taught many mm -hmm. years ago. Um, so it's just kind of fun. So <clears throat> I I started at UMI, um, and what I found was a very common uh, industry is there's no training. They just throw you in an office and say okay go, and so. 
I had to make up what it was to be a product manager. I'm looking at this piece of paper and <laughs> saying, all right, how does that apply to me? And what do I think my job is? So right away, I thought my job was to really be critical and look at all of our products and see where improvements need to be made, get a lot of information from outside, find out what, pe- what, what works, what doesn't. Mm-hmm. And in about a heartbeat, I ticked off every plant manager that we had <laughs> <laughs> because they didn't have anybody doing that. They were they had free reign in product development. They had free reign in making changes to processes of product, and I was all of a sudden in their way. And this is different than quality control. But this had nothing to do with quality control. This was, you know, the marketing side. As a product manager, you, you know, what you should be doing is you're in charge of a of a product segment. So that means all the marketing material, all the marketing, the 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 the, the, the standard kind of marketing activities and far as print and, and copy and press releases and flyers and all that kind of stuff that's only part of it but then you have actual you do have setting quality standards you do have mm-hmm. uh, product development you have um, you've got to work very closely with operations to make sure that and innovation that, right? I mean, you've all got of that work on, all of that yeah. and and so it was a rocky start and it took me very little time to figure out that boy this is a lot to, to to chew, mm-hmm. doing strings, brass, and woodwinds. We had three plants. Um, there was and, one. And just to be clear, I mean, you didn't have to move, right? You're still living. No, in I'm, I'm living at home in uh, Mishawaka, Indiana, and so I'm working in Elkhart, 22 minute drive, mm-hmm. uh, in the corporate headquarters, and it was attached to the um, the, the the flute plant. So at the time, UMI, all they did was they they made their flutes, oboes, and bassoons in the Elkhart plant, and then in the back building called Building A, they had all their strings, Cheryl and Roth, and all those brands. They had. Uh, they had were importing those from different countries and then shop adjusting them, mm-hmm. right? So that's where we were working. But they also had their brass plant, which was the old King plant in East Lake, Ohio, which was uh, where they made Con King and Vantage instruments. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they had their their woodwind plant where they made all their clarinets and saxophones in Nogales, Arizona. So those are the three plants that I'm trying to work with and and help uh, develop. Um, but it, it, fate has an interesting way of working out. So. I'm only into the, into the into the job nine months, still trying to, to to build relationships and operations so I can get stuff done. Um, and uh, there was a change in the in the corporate structure. The vice president of international sales uh, quit because um, he had a really difficult time working with the owner. Now the owner was Mr. Bernard Buscanter, who I have a tremendous amount of respect for, um, but he was a, an incredibly uh, intense man to work for. And he liked to micromanage the inter- uh, international business because he was Swedish. He was, his, his homes were in Sweden. He had a home in Spain. He had his, his family had a distribu- musical instrument, uh, a music distribution company called Moose Cantor and Company AB out of uh, Sweden. So he really knew international markets. He dealt with people in all kinds of countries. And he liked to micromanage. And he, uh, the VP of uh, uh, international sales quit suddenly. And... I'm in my office one day, and John Morgan, the vice president of domestic sales, came in and said, hey, Jeff, you know that so-and-so had just, had, had just quit. How would you like to take over international sales? <laughs> so so I, I stared and I'm at I'm sure all the plant managers are like, take the job, yeah. take the job, right? <laughs> well, it's, I stared at him, kind of in disbelief, and I said, are you serious? He goes, yes, I am. I said, well, then, John, let's look at my qualifications. I don't speak any foreign language. I've never traveled outside of the continental U.S. I have no sales experience. Sure, I'll do that. <laughs> I mean, that was my knee-jerk reaction. Maybe that's the trumpet player in me. 
you know, I love a challenge. I'm a quick study. Mm -hmm. uh, but but then I backed up and said, yeah, seriously, I would consider doing it. However, you got some really good qualified people here in this organization who could do this. One in particular who was a, a, a really talented German woman um, uh, named Ingrid Harder that, um, before she got remarried. And it was interesting because she had a lot of experience in international business. She was one of the sales coordinators, and, and she would have been a likely candidate. It was just, though, that unfortunately at that time in the company, they just didn't look at women the way they're doing now, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. and, and so uh, they offered the job to me, and, and I, I took it. And again, immediately walked into a situation where everybody in that department hated me because who are you to tell us how to do this? You have no experience. And they were right. Although one of the things I've excelled at are relationship building and working with people and treating people fairly. Mm -hmm. it's very, for me, it's very simple. Treat people like you want to be treated. Right. And, and you can't really grow. And always be honest. I mean, those two, that's a simple recipe that I've always kind of guided my, my life on. And so... <laughs> Uh, it, it took a while, but um, over the year, I, I, I ended up running the international sales department for UMI until they were bought by the Summer Company to become Con Summer, and I was still head of international sales. So overall, I did that for 12 years in the company. Mm -hmm. And by the time uh, I actually did something else in the company, um, I had a great department. We had a lot of success. We had grown the business. And those people that worked in that department, we had great they w I would do anything for them, and they would do anything mm -hmm. for me. And so we had a really close, tight-knit group. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> I uh, was getting a little tired of all the international travel, being away from home as much as I loved. And so um, there was another opportunity that came up in the company. It was for uh, a, uh, a regional sales job for domestic sales, <coughs> which would have kept me in the country and, and doing whatnot. <coughs> so it was uh, the shortest job I've ever had in the history of my career or a lot of people's because – um, Brian Immel was the vice president of sales, and I said, Brian, I understand you're, you're, hiring, you're looking to replace um, someone for the uh, Midwest, no, the West Regional Sales Manager for Consumer, domestic sales. He said, yes. I said, I'd be interested. He, really? Sure, you got it. So that's how that interview went. And it didn't require you got marrying it. into another nope, family. Didn't have to do right? I didn't have, <laughs> no, no, I didn't yeah, do any of that. Right. And so... Uh, we set a time for when I was going to start. We hired someone else in to be international sales guy, and I transitioned that. And so on the very first day, I started at 8 o'clock in the morning. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to – a little side here. This is during the time when there was something really critical happening in this John Summer uh, history. There was a strike at the Bach plant. Right? It started in, what, 2006? Mm -hmm. And um, so this was in 2008, and things – we're still rocky because the, the, the contracts hadn't been settled. There was all kinds of uh, problems. And, you know, we were losing market share every day because we couldn't get product out into the market. Um, and so they had made a decision. They wanted to take uh, Ted Wagner, who was in the head of marketing for the brass, mm -hmm. um, who had been there a longtime veteran who had managed a plant before. He managed the Main Street Woodland plant. He, he has been Mr. Bach. He, he, he is the Bach guy. And for many years, and so they wanted to get him out of marketing, and um, so now fast forward back to my day. I start at eight o'clock in the morning and report into Brian, ready to go to work. So I'm just getting all my ducks in a row when I'm going to contact all of my DMs I was going to manage and everything. And at 4:30 that afternoon, the president of the company comes in and says, "Jeff, I need you to consider something. I know that the um, 
you're doing this Western Regional Manager. If, they, they, and if, that, if that's what you want to do, fine. But I want you to consider taking over on the marketing side. I've got to move Ted out of marketing, get him back into plant to make sure that we're not putting any more bag product in the box side. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, that's a, that, that's a smart idea. I think Ted should be there. <coughs> and, um, so, and he said, but I really would like you to consider taking over. So I said, well, uh, let's look at my qualifications. <laughs> There's a pattern There's here. There's a pattern. I said, I've never, I don't have any marketing experience. I've never developed a product. Um, yeah, sure, I'll do that. So at um, 10 minutes till 5 on the day I started my job with Brian Immel, I walk in and I resigned. I, said, <laughs> I can't <laughs> so imagine the I look said, on his face. He said, hey, how'd your day go? I said, great, I quit. <laughs> so, um, he, again, are you serious? I told him what was happening. He thought it was great. And so... I, I, that's what I did. I went into marketing. And so that's when, uh, you know, the new challenge, you know, so what I, what I started doing, I started Googling everything about marketing I can find. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to self-educate myself sure. on, on marketing activities. And so one of the big things was product development. And I had not done any product development. But I'm, you know, I'm a pretty accomplished trumpet player in my own right. Mm-hmm. And I've got ideas. And I've been around. I've been around now manufacturing for some time. And so um, I, I will always remember my first product development meeting. I had planned, you know, that what had happened in, up to that point, Ted had been doing a great job with bringing out um, limited edition model box strap trumpets. Mm-hmm. And so they would, he, they would, he would go in and look at earlier designs, put some combinations together that would play well and be interesting. But they would do a limited run of X number of trumpets once they sell those. Mm-hmm. They were special numbered and then they're gone. And so that was the assumption. I was going to continue that. But prior to the meeting, I had started to think about what we needed to do. And here's what I, here's the, here's what I was thinking. We're in a world of hurt. We, we're out of the trumpet market. We've lost a lot of market share to main, main competitors, particularly Yamaha. Um, we need to do something as a statement to get us back in the market to, to do two things. Make sure that players know that we're still here and we do things well mm-hmm. and we want to make a statement to our competitors saying, hey, you know, we're not done. We're not dead. We, we, we're, we're in this game. So I put, um, I put a plan together that uh, when I presented it, um, the initial response from executive management was, no, no, you're not going to do that. And I said, yeah, we need to do this. And what it was, I laid out everything um, about the artisan collection. So my idea was we're going to develop five trumpets at the same time, mm-hmm. three of which we've never made in this configuration at Bach before, we're going to launch them all at the same time. It's going to be called the Artisan Collection. I had already put together a storyboard with um, a video um, copy and shot angles that I wanted. I put together press releases. I, I put together a marketing plan around uh, teaser ads. Uh, and they, again, this is me being self-taught. Mm-hmm. And um, and they first said no, but I pushed them, and they finally gave me the, uh, the green light to do it. I think probably to see how quickly it'd be for, for me to <laughs> fail at it. But, you know, with Ted's help, and we put together a team of engineers, and I went to really specific players, Michael Sachs with the Cleveland Orchestra, and I initially contacted Phil Smith, who was interested in helping that, uh, to help develop this, this line. As it turned out, because of proximity, the collaboration with Phil didn't work out like it like I was hoping, mm-hmm. but it did really well with Michael. And so Michael was instrumental, and I worked with him very closely on all of these designs. I pretty much inspected out everything that I thought it would, the way it would be, and then I worked with him to start tweaking these things to get them 
uh, and, and he's a great person to do it because he's a great historian. He knows more about the history of Bach than most players. Um, he understands and appreciates the history and, um, and is dedicated to, uh, you know, he's not one of these guys who wants to come out with a new next generation of whiz-bang thing that has wings on it and has <laughs> got three bells. No, he, he's very traditional. He's played his entire career on just a few horns, and he will tell you that he changes equipment at a glacial pace. Right? You know, that, so he doesn't. Once every millennia. Right. right and right. so one of the really interesting things I found out during my collaboration with Michael is that the C trumpet that he plays most of his career on and the C trumpet that Phil Smith played most of his career on were very close in serial number, mm. within 12 wow. of the last two digits. And as it come to find out, when I looked at my C trumpet that I bought used that I used, it was in that same 12 digit. No kidding. So our three horns were actually from the same batch. And I've got a great, great C trumpet. Um, so it was just, it was, it was a fun thing. Mm -hmm. And so we put together some things. We came out with the Arson Collection and, and it, it was very successful. And so I then started, so that came out in 2010. So starting in 2010 as the marketing guy, I uh, started developing Bach Stradivarius uh, trumpets and actually trombones for a short time until I hired someone to actually do that. Mm -hmm. um, but I was uh, in charge of all the brass instruments. So, uh, uh, and then they, in, at Consum where they have someone doing woodwinds and someone doing, uh, you know, their, their, their categories. Right. And so that's what I did. And I was a category manager for all the brass instruments up until um, uh, the end of April of 2018. And uh, that's when I left Consum. Um, well, to say it was a dif differences of opinion. Mm -hmm. And uh, so after uh, 23 years there. Maybe they felt you were unqualified for the <laughs> job, right? Yeah, I, every time they'd offered you something, they said, you're, I'm not qualified, I'm not qualified. Um, they finally it, figured it out. It was, probably, it was probably just time. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm a very headstrong, confident, vocal guy. And sometimes in a corporate environment, that doesn't play well together um but you yeah, know I, I had but, a good relationship but the story with the gets better and i think uh at least from what i what i've seen from you okay so at this point i extracted quite a bit of footage and put that in a separate interview it's where jeff talks about the eastman story so you can go to a different uh actually the next episode and catch that once you're done here so back to jeff to finish this one up we're going to call it for today. Sure. I uh, really re appreciate the opportunity. Oh, I've, I've enjoyed this. And, you know, uh, getting to hear uh, all of your background. And I think when it comes to building relationships, that's you've got such a varied background. It's like you're, you've got this ability to connect on so many levels with people. And so I think that's, that's a – if you look at qualifications, that's it right there. Sure. Is, is all of that plays into it. So uh, congrats on the new gig with Eastman. Thank you. And uh, congrats on everything else. And uh, thank you very much. Look forward to working with you, of course, many more times in the future. So likewise. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you again for listening to today's interview. I hope you enjoyed your time here, and please come back for more interviews. Be sure to share the news of this podcast with friends and colleagues, and give me a rating on whatever platform you get your podcast from. Thanks again to Messina Covers for co-sponsoring this podcast. Don't forget that you, too, can be a supporter. Check out how at www.patreon.com slash studio HFL. 
And one more reminder that you can sign up to receive news via email regarding new episodes, merchandise, and more by going to palmusic.net and clicking on the subscribe to newsletter link. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you come back for more great interviews.